Before I begin, I wish to dedicate this episode in the memory of Shane Tidwell. I send my condolences to his wife, his beautiful children, and also my condolences to Tommy and Larissa Tidwell. May the peace that surpasses all understanding be with you during this time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Liberation. I'm your host, LaCroix Hatcher, and Liberation presents Tommy Tidwell. Tommy is an evangelist and elder for the South Cobb Church of Christ, and he also serves as a campus director for the Georgia School of Preaching and Biblical Studies. In this episode, Tommy will talk to us about his career in the ministry, the importance of study, and how cultural differences still affect the church. Please enjoy the show. Today I have a very special gentleman. Um, He helped navigate me from afar as far as uh, the way I have attempted to study God's word and to learn uh, more about it. I was introduced to him by way of shortly GSOP, which stands for Georgia School of Preaching and Biblical Studies. I believe our first class together was Deuteronomy, maybe? May have been. <laughs> I, th- I know we did about two classes together, but... I- Deuteronomy yeah. sticks out to me. Mm-hmm. Um, he took time to talk to me even after classes, just to talk about life, life in general, my growth as a Christian. And I really, really appreciated those conversations. I'm sure I caught him out of the blue when I asked him if he would uh, like to be part of this show. And he obliged, and I greatly, greatly appreciate it. Uh, he has been an evangelist for over 28 years. And he also, again, works for GSOP, in which he is a director and chairman, which we'll get into a little bit more. Uh, We have my brother, my friend, my teacher, Mr. Tommy Tidwell. Tommy Tidwell, how are you doing today? I'm better than I deserve, brother, and uh, appreciate you as a student. You encouraged me. I always love those talks. I love sitting down and talking with you about that stuff. So I, I feel honored that you asked me to be a part of this. Thank you. I couldn't have think of 10 people better. Um, so let's get into Mr. Titwell from the very beginning. Uh, what led you to the Lord's Church? I had attended, my mom had been a member of the Nazarene Church, and I had attended the Nazarene Church as a young boy um, in 1973. My grandfather died. And my grandmother decided she wanted to go back to church. Uh, right down the road was the Macedonian Church of Christ. And I mean, it just so happened because we lived about three or four miles from one another. Uh, me or one of my sisters would always be staying with her at night because she you know, was somewhat afraid of staying there by herself. So she'd take us to church. And that's where I found out the gospel and uh, um, listened to it for the very first time. Uh, it was kind of an amazing situation. Uh, I was there probably six or eight months, and then I realized that, you know, in in that six or eight months, I had, had been the, the church that mom had gone to, and I, I I couldn't tell you the first sermon that I heard, you know, I, or, and again, it may have been because I was just very young, I don't know, but nothing really stuck with me, but what really stuck with me when I went to the uh, Macedonian Church of Christ in Florence, Alabama with my grandmother was, man, this guy's used Bible up one side and down the other. And I got excited about that. I started digging into the Bible and 
And the next thing I knew, I baptized into Christ and uh, began my walk with the Lord at the age of 13. 13. 13. Yeah. I think I was somewhere around that age. Um, so you spent time at the Nazarene church, so you weren't unfamiliar uh, with the Lord's word, even at 13. Um, how long were you? Because at 13, you don't really know what you want to do in life mm -hmm. just yet. Um, at what point did you want to move into the ministry? What motivated you to become a preacher? Again, being part of that congregation, and this was a loving congregation, as I said, in North Alabama. Um, and uh, they, I, I just listened to the preacher. I said, you know what? I'd like to try to do that one time. And they actually let me about six months to a year later to actually let me to preach my first sermon. Now, people today dream of me doing that. Um, I probably worked on it for three solid months. Um, it was a simple, I decided to do something simple like the parable of the soils. That's what it was about. I never will forget that was my first sermon. I worked on it for three or four months. I had, I had, spoke in front of a mirror, <laughs> you name it. I did everything I knew to do at that age because I had never taken any classes or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, to make a long story short, that I had it down to about 30 minutes. And then whenever I stood up in front of all those people that very first time, uh, of course, that, that stage fright hit, man. It hit big time because <laughs> this was a congregation about 300. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it was a five-minute sermon. <laughs> and, and that's what I was saying earlier. People dream today that I would do the same thing. But anyway. <laughs> so, so you were only, what, about 14? 14 about that time, yeah. And the thing is, is they, they let me continue to work on it. And that's one of the things that impressed me. And it, it encouraged me, and it says a lot to me as far as I'm concerned, how important it is for those of us in the church, whenever we see somebody that's interested in doing that, we need to encourage them, not sit back and just, you know, discourage them, but we need to do all that we can to encourage them. And that's part of the reason why when I had the opportunity to start teaching at the George School of Preaching, I was like, wow, this is great. Mm -hmm. And that's what I've been trying to do to give back what they gave me back there at that very first time. You know, I, I, as I said, I never have forgotten that. And I never have forgotten those people. And uh, I would hope and pray that all of us in the church all across this land would encourage uh, young men and, and older men even to do that very same thing because it's a desperate need in the church today. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so you say you worked three or four months, uh, did, you know, someone sit with you to kind of guide you through this process or how did, how did that work? Not really. Oh, I just kind of worked through it. I did have, um, I did run it by the preacher. Um, and he seemed like it, it was going to be okay. And like I said, but that, that first time standing in front of all those people that scared me to death. Oh, I couldn't imagine <laughs> at 14 in front of 300 yeah. people. Yeah. Oh, my knees would have buckled at the steps. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you're absolutely right about encouraging people. And I want to say at some point in the midst 
within GSOP, um, me taking my courses there, I want to say I may have even texted you the first time I was selected to teach a class uh, because I felt like you were instrumental uh, in that in that <clears throat> role, little did I know. Um, and the reason I even wanted to take the classes there is because a lot of the things I had read and watched videos of, uh, unfortunately, and I hate to put it this way, a lot of things that I seen in her weren't introduced to me in some of the congregations I had been at in the past. And I wanted to expand on my knowledge. And I'm not one who wanted to become or see myself as a minister. But I do see myself as a teacher because I see it as a very underrated role. Mm-hmm. And I have oftentimes in congregations here in uh, Cleveland, Ohio, mm-hmm. have seen situations where, um, especially at a smaller congregation, if the minister goes on vacation, has a death in the family, and isn't able to um, preach that particular week, they're scrambling to find a teacher to substitute. Number Mm -hmm. one, my biggest problem with that is, where are the men of that congregation? Why aren't they being brought up? Mm -hmm. Secondly is, if a minister from another congregation is being sent somewhere else, that's a heavy burden on him at short notice to have to put together a lesson and find out where they're at in their Sunday school lesson and teach that too. Mm-hmm. So I saw myself particularly as, you know, I could be somebody that could be used as a mercenary, if you will. Because right. um, guess what? Bible teachers get sick too. Bible teachers have things that go on in their life. And if you don't have men equipped, I would have no problem uh, standing in the gap and I just wanted to expand on the knowledge and, and those kind of things just baffled me and I guess we can get into more of that um, more of that later but that that was the moment I said okay I think there's more to this Bible thing that I um, need to take serious so um, 14 you became a preacher and um, or navigated into that direction so yeah. at, at what, how old were you when you decided to take this on seriously? Well, I'd always been given that opportunity. And uh, that was the thing, like I said, that really encouraged me. I think about what you were saying a moment ago, and, and this addresses it a little bit. You know, the Apostle Paul will emphasize the idea that the older men are to teach the younger men. Mm. The older women are to teach the younger women. Uh, one of the biggest divides in the church today is not just race, but it's also age. And, and uh, we don't, older men and older women are not doing what they need to be doing to try to encourage. Uh, there is something to be said about families. Mm-hmm. Families have a big important role in it as well. Uh, my mom and dad really never encouraged me to do that. Uh, as I said, they weren't going to church. Um, um, 
my mom had some issues with me being baptized, as I said, as a young guy and, and uh, not talking to her first. Mm. Uh, so I didn't really get a lot from my mom and dad. Um, but I did get a lot from, and in fact, this congregation that, that I preached at had offered, even offered to send me to Freed Harmon College. Hmm. And I wanted to do that, but uh, mom just wasn't going to have it. So to keep the peace, obviously, I, I didn't. Um, also, about that same time as I'm getting about 17, 18 years old, about ready to graduate from high school, uh, I was thinking about joining the Marine Corps because my dad was Marine Corps. And uh, I'm thankful that it didn't work out uh, in, in that respect, because a lot of times a lot of folks go into the military and they, it either makes them or breaks them. And, and in a lot of those situations, uh, I don't, a lot of them come back out with, uh, with their hearts hardened somewhat. And again, I understand why, because they have to get ready to, to do the job they have to do. Um, so I went on myself. I had, uh, God had blessed me. Um, I was the salutatorian in my high school class. I mean, I had the second highest GPA. Uh, in fact, I was set up to be the valedictorian, but there was a guy that came in there the last year who graduated from, <laughs> from some college in Cal or not college, but high school in California. And, and he just, you know, uh, so I, and I had my first year, I went to attended the university of North Alabama, uh, on a, on a academic scholarship. And um, at the same time, I still had that desire. Heritage Christian University, at the time it was International Bible College, was there in Florence, Alabama. So uh, I did something really stupid. <laughs> I took a semester at UNA, full load, and a semester at uh, International Bible College, full load. And, um, <laughs> and but, the, but what surprised me out of all of it is the fact that... Um, I passed every course uh, with A's, I mean, straight A's. So God, like I said, has blessed me in that respect. Um, and then after being there at International Bible College, I got my Associate of Arts degree there, moved on. Then uh, one of, the, one of the, the dean from International Bible College had moved down and set up a college or been part of a, was the president of the Magnolia Bible College down in Mississippi. About the same time, I met my wife at the college, International Bible College. Uh, and then we got married and we moved to Mississippi, had our first son there, but I was preaching there as well as going to Magnolia Bible College at the same time where I got my bachelor's degree. Um, and then many years later, I went back to International Bible College, which is now Heritage Christian and got my master's degree. Um, but in that time, as I said, I preached two years in Mississippi, uh, moved over here to Georgia preached for about five, five and a half years in one congregation. Um, then we moved to another congregation down in Southern Georgia. I was there six months. I don't want to talk about that a whole lot. <laughs> okay. That, that was a, that was a very bad situation in, in every situation in the terms. And I need that, we got no. down there, there were 75 people there and it looked like the church was going to be great. When we left, there was 15. Uh, and it was a bad, bad deal. And that's a whole other thing that we could talk about. But uh, so then I came back up here to Atlanta. I had tried out a congregation here um, and started preaching at Clarkdale. Mm -hmm. And then in 1989, I'm giving you too much history, I guess, but in no, 1989, no, no. This we, 
we actually had two small congregations. Now, Georgia is a lot like other places in the country. Georgia didn't have a lot of churches of Christ. Uh, they're few and far between. Uh, and if they did have one, then what would happen is there are usually smaller congregations that have a lot of problems. Um, one of the things that I've always thought about, and I think a lot about this as preachers, is, is that, you know, what would be the best situation as I look at it is if some of these bigger congregations could afford it, uh, that can't afford it, they would bring in a young man that's just maybe out of college or going to college and still doing it and guide him as well as the older preacher guiding him, getting him ready to the point where maybe in two years or so, he would be out and at least then, you see, you don't learn a lot of stuff. All, you don't learn everything in college. You have to learn some of this by the College of Hard Knocks. And, and boy, did I learn something in that six months I was at the church. And, and uh, so then I wound up moving back here to a small congregation called Clarkdale and then there was another smaller congregation about five miles down the road. And it was called Liberty Hill. And we began in 1989 to have a discussion about merging. And we merged the two congregations together in uh, 1990. And this formed the South Cobb Church. And I've been here ever since. Uh, the other preacher that was at Liberty Hill was preaching as well as I was preaching, we'd swap off. He preached Sunday morning, I'd preach Sunday night. The next week I'd preach Sunday morning, he preached Sunday night. It was a beautiful relationship. He got older, he retired, and, and I, just, I just took the place ever since then. And um, this goes back to what I was saying earlier, older men teaching younger men, older women teaching younger women. I learned a lot from Henry, uh, the other preacher that was here. Um, and, and um, it's, it's one of those things that we don't do a lot of thinking about this in the Lord's church, but we do send a lot of times, we send younger guys into these congregations with big problems, um, with one person or two people trying to run everything. And then what winds up happening is you knock heads and it's not doing the church any good when these preachers stay only a couple of years. You need to stay, you don't even get really started good in getting to know the people in a period of two years. And so then you'd flip, flip through. And, and, and I am elaborating on this a little bit more. To me, to me personally, this has been a problem in the Lord's church for years. So much so that what would happen is about, we went through about the time during the 60s and the 70s uh, and on into the 80s where preachers would go into a congregation uh, they would stay there about two years, and then they would either, A, have the opportunity to go to a bigger congregation. It was their chance to step up, but they've learned a lot in that two years that they were with a smaller congregation. Or the brethren would be upset about that preacher because he knocked heads too much with some of the others, and they would get rid of him. So here's what happened as I see it. Whenever we went through that period, in, as I said, in the 60s and the 70s and, and so forth, and even in the 50s, 1950s through 60s and 70s, when you have a preacher move in and then leave within two years, let me tell you what preachers do. The first two years we were there, we mainly preached 
first, basic first principle sermons because we don't know the problems. We don't know the people. We don't know where or what they need. But if we stay there, then you begin to see, all right, this person needs this and you try to help them, them mature. But if you're moving every two years, all the church is getting is basic you need to repent. You need to be baptized. There's one church, you know, and, and all, and they get the basics and they never grow past that. So they will pat themselves on the back and say, okay, we're at least standing for the truth here, 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 and here, but they never grow past that. They never grow past that to the point of spiritual maturity that, Paul and all the other Bible writers are saying that we've got to get to. And I saw that and I did not want to be a part of that. I did not want to create that. And as I said, I, the first congregation, I spent there about two and a half years in Mississippi. Uh, We had our first son there. There was some problems there. I was part of the problem was, as I was 20, 21 years old, the average age of the congregation there was 65. That didn't, (laughs) that didn't work out too well. Uh, the second congregation, uh, I went to, I was there five and a half years. I was about their age and I had matured a little bit. Third congregation, again, that's another one of those issues that, uh, there was some more and, and I really butted heads with this one particular guy. And, and, uh, that's part of the reason why, because I didn't see what he was doing was right. And so then I said, you know what, for the sake of my family and everything else, I want to find a place and I'm going to stay for a while to get my children grown and everything like that. And that's what's happened. That's good. And it's also given me the opportunity to help, I hope, the church to grow past hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. There's one church, uh, things along that line. Every one of those things are vital, but we've got to grow past that. It's almost the reverse of what Paul, well, not Paul, <clears throat> the Hebrew writer mm-hmm. uh, says in chapter 5. Mm-hmm. verse 12 where he's saying you know you you should be teachers mm-hmm. um but you need the first principles again but the the main thing that stands out in that scripture is you're still on milk mm-hmm. that's right and you should be on solid food and just like you're saying the congregation can't grow just like a baby can't grow on Similac a five-year-old shouldn't be on Similac anymore. Amen. Amen. The congregation has no business still hearing, like you said, repent, confess, baptize. There's so much more than that. That's right. That's right. The We, we have <laughs> become stagnant, and then we expect to try to convert other people when the church is not converted themselves. Amen. Amen. It's just a constant stagnant motion over and over. And it's just wash, rinse, repeat. Mm -hmm. And we have no way of. uh, And and there's no way of advancing. Right. And we lose members, let alone the youth. When when are you going to learn anything new? Right. That's exactly true. And that's that's yeah. what drove me in your direction. I mean, we'll get into GSOP, but um, monetarily, 
it's beneficial because there's no cost. That's right. And two, you give you guys are giving advanced studies on things that whether the congregation is immature, they don't have the time, they don't have the men. They're mm-hmm. sometimes um, not able to present certain lessons as they should. And then you have people in my case where I had a hectic schedule and sometimes I couldn't attend the Wednesday classes, the men classes, and it, and it kind of it kind of worked. And the one thing that um, made me want to grow my learning is, um, I don't know if you've heard of Brad Harrell. He's um, yes, I have. Okay. I can't, for the life of me, I can't remember how I came across him. But I saw one of his truth about origin seminars on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And what he taught blew my mind. Mm-hmm. I said, I've never heard anything like this. Period. You would have to, the closest thing I could come up with is something on National Geographic when they're doing these things about the Bible and yada, mm-hmm. yada, yada. And when I was a youngster, I always struggled with the fact that, okay, I'm learning in school, not so much a Big Bang Theory, but you're learning up the wazoo about dinosaurs, um, and not necessarily cavemen, but how men came so many millions and thousands of years after animals. Okay. Now I go to Sunday school, and I'm learning... Adam and Eve, Noah's Ark up the wazoo. Where do you marry the two? Because the truth is always, typically, somewhere in the middle. In this case, the truth is always in the Lord's word. But where do you combine the two? And the things he talked about is rarely discussed amongst a majority of congregations. I can't speak for the entire United States, but I know in Cleveland, that's not addressed. Because I've been at about three to four congregations during my lifetime, and it's not addressed. So I said, okay, this Brad Harrop guy, (laughs) I've only scratched the surface of this Bible. And that's what motivated me to seek a higher learning. Not to say that a minister can't do it, such as yourself. But you have tons of people to work with at your own congregation. How do I find time, especially if the average minister, I'm speaking for Cleveland again, if the average minister doesn't have men dedicated to work this type of lesson, where else am I going to find it? So I, I went on like a two-month search for where I can find it and what's affordable. So that led me your direction. Well, we're glad you're there. We really are. And I agree with you 100% in the fact that uh, that's why we're losing our young people. Yeah. They they wind up uh, hearing, like you said, they hear one thing in church. They hear maybe one thing. And parents have a lot to do with this. Let's be honest about this, too. Fair. And the sad tragedy of it is, is the fact that a lot of parents don't know how to answer these kind of questions. Um, and to give, uh, a, you know, First Peter 3.15, to give a reason for the hope that is within them mm-hmm. uh, and, and let's also just be honest and i'm not going to preach for brad harem but there is no 
middle ground for those two. There's nothing, I mean, between what the Bible clearly says about creation and then what uh, Darwin and his theory of evolution says about how we got here, mm-hmm. there's no middle ground. You, 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 you have to make a choice one way or the other. And this is what is constantly being taught mm-hmm. in our high schools, as well as, especially in the college setting nowadays. And again, they're even becoming more uh, militant about it the point where you either accept this or get out of my class. Right. Uh, and, and the tra- sad tragedy of it is, is that, you know, especially a young person away from home, perhaps for the very first time in these college settings, um, they're going to feel this pressure uh, and they want to be accepted. Uh, so they give in. And then before it's all over with, they have bought into um uh, at the very least, agnosticism, at the very most, atheism. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so that's part of the reason why we are losing our youth. Yeah. And what has the church done to help that? And to be honest, we haven't done a lot because, again, it goes back to what I was saying. Let's just deal with the basics and let's not go past this. And that's where the problems come in. Mm-hmm. And then we raise our hands and try our best to figure that out. I do appreciate Brad Harrod and the fact that he's honest enough to at least say, this is why we're losing our young people. And, and we've got to spend some time defending the faith, learning how to defend the faith, you know, Jude 3. I want to write unto you concerning the common salvation, but I had to write unto you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered for the saints. So the bottom line is we have to be willing and able to understand that there's not going to be any middle ground, that we're in a war. And I mean, literally, and again, Paul will even talk about this. Second uh, Corinthians, he says, you know, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. It's not guns and bullets and tanks and all that other stuff, but it's by the word of God pulling down the strongholds that Satan is throwing up. So we, we've got to be able to know the Bible well enough. We've got to be able to give this to our young people. And that's, again, part of the reason why I've enjoyed teaching so much at the Georgia School of Preaching. Um, I have taught some classes on Christian evidences, uh, we do have some of the uh, instructors there that do a much better job at it than I ever could. So that's what I let them do. Um, but it is something that, that we need to share. This is something we really need to get to people's hands and hearts. And again, Brad Harum, Focus Press, that is one of the key ways to go at it. And then there are a lot of other, there are a lot of other brethren in the brotherhood. Um, there's Apologetics Press, um, and, uh, if you have the opportunity, I know that, but polishing the pulpit, they have an entire block, uh, in polishing the pulpit every year. Of course, they didn't have it this last year because of COVID, but, uh, there's an entire block of lessons that you can listen to, um, that gives you the ammunition to fight. And to me, that's something that we need to um, what we did right after this COVID hit, we did buy a, subscri- a, prescri- a subscription to Polish in the Pulpit where all of our members could listen to any th- sermon in the world they wanted to on it. Mm. Oh, not just that, but anything. I mean, just anything. There were women's sermons on there, uh, sermons for elders, sermons for deacons, sermons for preachers, sermons for everything. So let me just encourage you to take use that. I- I'm fully convinced that we in the church need to avail ourselves of every opportunity. 
every opportunity to use everything that we possibly can to build one another up to the point to where we will be able to, again, to contend earnestly for the faith which was once delivered for the saints. But you're right. And that's one of the things that we're trying to do at the George School of Preaching is get into a whole lot more in-depth studies uh, than just uh, some of the Bible classes that we're part of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I joke about this sometimes, but um, when I went to one congregation for the very first time and I sat in their Bible class before I even got started good as a preacher and all there, and he had, they had a teacher up there <clears throat> and they had books and they gave them to all the adult members. And they're Willard, Willard Conchin books. Um, and Brother Conchin did a great job taking and going through the Bible and asking questions. And you have to sit down and write these things out in your, in your book, you know. Yeah. This stuck in my mind forever. And it's kind of like, I can't believe this, but because I've never been a part of this. I've never heard of this before. but. In one of the congregations that I went in the first, uh, I sat in the Bible class and the brother looked up. He said, okay, we're on page uh, 21 of Willard Conscience book on the book of Ephesians. I don't know if it was that or not, but and he says, who wants to take question number one? And everybody look at one another first and then finally somebody, somebody look up and they'd say, well, I guess I will. Nobody else will. And I'm like, and he'd read the question and he'd give his answer. And then the brother in the class would say, any comments on that? Who wants to take number two? <laughs> and I mean, I mean, it's just like, you, you, you've got to be kidding me here. And that's, to me, that's, that's what made me want to be, as I said, part of this Georgia School of Preaching whenever I was asked to teach for it the first time. I said, you know what? I'm going to give it my all. And every class I've ever taught, uh, this next semester I'm teaching on the book of Luke. I've never taught that book just by itself. Hmm. So now it's a whole other eye-opening experience for me. Now I've taught Matthew, Mark, and Luke whenever I talked about the synoptic gospels or I would teach the life of Christ where I'd cover all of them, you know, try to cover all of them. But, but teaching the book of Luke by itself that's a whole new thing. And I'm excited about it because I can't wait to start teaching it. Uh, and I guarantee you, it's not going to be uh, number one, who wants to take number two kind of deal. <laughs> I don't want ever want to do that. I don't, you know, no wonder again, that our adults can't teach their children. No wonder again, that our children grow up and leave the church. And then we sit around and scratching our heads, trying to figure out why yeah. there's, there's no sense in the way we do things in, in that respect. We've got to be better at it, a lot better at it. Because what we've, we've minimized church to, and I, and I know I don't want to broad stroke, <laughs> we've minimized church to nothing more than a social club. Amen. Amen. We, we know that we're doing good works from time to time. We help the community. It makes us feel good about ourselves. Mm-hmm. But if we get backed into a corner to, like you said, contend for that faith, it's almost like fighting Mike Tyson with both arms tied behind your back. You're mm-hmm. not going to beat him anyway, <laughs> mm-hmm. but you can't even, def- you can't even fight off the shot. You can't even throw the first punch. You can't do anything. <laughs> you're at, you're at their mercy. That's and right. And 
you, we have to be able to to grab a hold to our kids and and I love that God even from Old Testament on has always used outsiders to assist in his work and mm -hmm. I say that to say this I had told the congregation I had um, just left a year ago um, some years back about the if you've heard of it, the Ark Encounter and the Creation Museum. It's in southern Ohio at, the very, at in northern Kentucky. Mm -hmm. Brother Tidwell, you have to go. This is a two museums. I think they're within 15 miles of each other, but they're created by Ken Ham, and he has a website, Answers in Genesis. Right. He's kind of in the same line of Brad Harrop, but um, not exactly sure where his faith is, but he created, and I tell you, the exact measurements of Noah's Ark. Mm -hmm. And you walk in that thing and you're absolutely mind blown. Because, yes, it's, it's one thing to read it, mm -hmm. but to see how God used a man to architect this big, huge and when you walk in there, oh, it's just by measurement. I'll forget about <laughs> what's actually in this place. I'm just transporting my mind back to Noah's day. Mm -hmm. This thing is a like three mansions. It, it puts to rest any of these doubts. Well, where can you get these? How can you fit this many animals? How can you do this? Brother mm -hmm. Tidwell? We can talk about it on paper and say this is the size of this, the size of that. But to walk in that thing, it, mm -hmm. it added another jolt of faith in me. Like, man, what a marvelous God we serve. Amen. Amen. We haven't had the opportunity. My uh, son and daughter-in-law have gone up there with their kids. Uh, and in fact, we actually uh, had our, um, uh, we've got a deacon in charge of our seniors. They actually took seniors up there not too long ago. Uh -huh. So they it God. was something else. It was something else. It, it is tremendous. And then the Creation Museum, they bridged that gap that I'm talking about. Like, they have no problem talking about dinosaurs. They have everything that you go to your, your, your art museums, but they put it with biblical scripture. There you go. This is what Noah would have done. This is how he lived. And they put a vivid picture of what he was about, what he did, the tools that he used, the materials. On, on down the line. Mm -hmm. I'll send you the picture um, when we're done. But they had this one um, I can't think of the right name. But they had one section. And it was kind of made like Lego blocks thing. Um, and it mimicked the floods rising. And it had mm -hmm. like a mountain. And it showed uh, like men and animals trying to escape the flood. Mm -hmm. And it just left a huge impression on me that what hopelessness there is without God. Mm -hmm. I, I can't imagine you're climbing and climbing and climbing and this water isn't going anywhere. Right. And, you know, when when we're not doing what we're supposed to do in the Lord's church, this is the same thing fate we're looking at that's right that's we're, exactly we're right. climbing a hill 
a mountain and sin is eventually just going to come get you and gobble you up. Back to you. <laughs> so you've been, uh, you've ministered throughout the uh, three states in the South. Mm -hmm. And as a married man, how did your wife take to that? Because most women are women of habit and they like to be settled in. Mm -hmm. uh, how did she feel about bouncing around state to state to state? We, we both were very young. I was 19 when we got married and she was 18. God bless uh, you. Yeah. And uh, we've been married 40 years now. Grateful for that. Grateful to God for that. Grateful for her love and her, her attention. And, uh, but the thing was, is her parents taught her. And this is something to be said. Her parents taught her that when you get married, this is it. This is a lifetime commitment. I understood from scripture that that was a lifetime commitment and, and that's what we did. And, you know, we never know where we never know from one moment to the next where, where we're going to wind up being. I never dreamed that I would have been in Mississippi in some small rural congregation. Um, I, I never would have dreamed that I would have been preaching that way, it, it, but I did. And I'm grateful to God for it. I learned a lot from it. Um, I, never dreamed that I would be five years at a place. I, you know, I heard a lot of preachers moving out, but I, but I had dreamed of staying in a place as long as I could. And, and, uh, that was part of it too. Um, uh, I never dreamed that I would only be in a place for six months either. So, <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? All that stuff comes in there, but the beauty of it is that she knew her parents had instilled in her that this was for better, for worse. She knew that we had to be able to provide for our family. God blessed me with three boys. And um, that's, um, we, had to, we had to do whatever we had to do to take care of that. Um, one of the things that I've always tried to do is, again, as a preacher, um, some congregations have these uh, contracts or whatever, uh, which is a good thing where they promise so much per year a raise in their salary. I've never had one of those. I've never had a contract. Every place that I've gone, we've just kind of been verbal, uh, which means they could get rid of me in a heartbeat or, you know, but that also doesn't leave a whole lot of room for making negotiations when it comes to salary and things like that. Um, so it, it's, it's something to, it's a good thing. It's a bad thing, but at the same time, you know, Paul will talk about the fact, first Corinthians chapter nine, that a laborer is worthy of his hire. Um, at the same time, there were also that dangers, and Paul would even refer to this in Timothy, that there would be those that would be trying to take advantage of the faith to make money. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to do that. Um, so I've had a wife that's been very loving and very understanding of all of this and, and has supported me every step of the way. At times, she's, you know, given me a swift kick in the pants when I needed it. <laughs> And, and that's what the beauty of a, of a great wife is. And she's been, she's been, I could not ask for a better wife. And I'm grateful to God for her every day. So, uh, but she, uh, we've been improvised, adapted and overcome. And uh, she's still hanging in there with me. She sure is. Um, and, and again, I can't speak so highly of her um, because she's just, she's just one of a kind. And 
as I've said before, it, it all goes back to the fact of her parents teaching her, teaching her what she needed to do. And uh, blessed be the man that has in-laws that taught uh, their daughter what they should do. And, you know, actually, let me reverse back to something. Um, so your mother and your father initially had issue with you um, getting into the ministry. Is that something that uh, worked itself out full circle? Uh, how, did, how did your mother or let me, how did your parents eventually take to you becoming a minister? I guess they just pretty well figured out that that was what was going to happen. And they just finally accepted it. Um, as I said, my dad was a, uh, he was a Marine Corps sergeant and then he turned around and worked as a structural iron worker. Um, we had a farm. I grew up on a farm, uh, and I, I cherish those days. I cherish those days because I learned a lot on the farm. I learned a lot, um, hard work, uh, the necessity of, uh, pulling your weight in a family. Uh, I learned that and, uh, I still straight up strive to believe and hold those principles very dear to me. I, mom, I can't really explain how mom felt about me being a preacher for the church. And, um, and dad never really talked to me about it either that much. Uh, it was just one of those deals that, uh, and what finally happened is they did wind up going to church and I'm grateful for that. I would want to say that it was because of whatever influence I might have had on them, but um, it was still something that uh, it was not a, it was discouraging to me, okay? Uh, because you'd want them to, to, to make it to heaven as well. And I'm, I'm leaving that in the hands of God, obviously. Um, <laughs> I was reading something the other day, you know, when we get to judgment day, there's going to be a lot of surprises on both sides. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say there? And uh, to me, that's kind of the same thing that we're talking about right here, right now. I, you know, I'm, I try not to judge whether a person goes to heaven or not. That's not my job. There has been my job. My job is to preach the gospel and teach people with, you know, what they need to be saved. When I preach funerals, I don't preach them into heaven and I don't preach them into hell either. Uh, I, that's God's job. It's not my job. I don't want that job. Um, <laughs> there's no way in the world that I want that job. So, you know, um, they reconciled themselves to it. Uh, I would have liked it better if they had uh, been better staunch supporters of me, but uh, it is what it is. It's probably safe to assume they stuck with the Nazarene um, yeah. faith that they were. Yeah. My dad wasn't. Dad had grown up in the church. Mom had been a Nazarene. Or had actually been a Methodist and then a Nazarene. And so, you know, it was a mixed, uh, religiously mixed couple. Mm -hmm. um, and, of course, Dad had enough of the church teaching in him that he couldn't go to the other, but then he was also a Marine, so there's something more to be said about all of that. You know, uh, she tried to go to church. Um, I remember when he was in Vietnam, you know, she, she made sure that we got to church. She made, she drove. Um, toward the end of her life, she wouldn't drive nothing. She just refused. But she dared to take out that 
two or three miles to go to church, that Nazarene church that we were a part of. Um, so I, I guess in a sense that did impact me. Um, I remember whenever I was baptized, I had not, you know, I had not talked to them about it. Uh, she was upset that I had been baptized without somebody talking to her about it first. And I wonder sometimes if that was something else that she had always kept in her mind. I, I don't know, but it is what it is now. And I like to think, as I said, that they were supportive of me at the end. And uh, because I also, at the same time, I also was kind of headstrong in a lot of ways. I had a lot of my dad in me in that respect and that you know, if I was going to do something, I was going to do it. And that was that. And so maybe they just reconciled themselves to it. Mm. I don't know. Okay, that's interesting. So I'm, I'm not letting you off the hook with the 75 uh, member congregation um, because I'm interested in uh, guys that I look up to and how they handle certain conflicts uh, within the body. Uh, because everything, no matter how we try to paint it, isn't always uh, sugary sweet within the uh, four walls of the church. Uh, what was that experience like? What kind of firestorm did you walk into? We got there and everybody seemed to be very excited. And I was excited. And it was a work that needed to be going on. Now, this was in Georgia. Uh, Georgia is not a stronghold of uh, Churches of Christ, uh, not like in Alabama where I grew up. Uh, if you look at the, um, in Tennessee and Alabama, uh, some places in Kentucky, the church is very, very strong and other places it's not. Georgia's not one of those places that it's very, very strong yet. Um, but anyway, we had gone down there. We had been very excited about the situation. Here's, here's kind of what happened. Um, there was a man there, and I, I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to say the place because I don't want to get anywhere close to that. Uh, but <clears throat> to make a long story short, this <clears throat> uh, place. Give me just a second. I had a dog come visit me, and I didn't want to. <laughs> I didn't want to get something started here with a dog. So please forgive me. Please forgive me. Anyway, we'd gone there and everybody was very excited about us being there. And uh, we got our kids enrolled in school, uh, but it didn't take very long. I found out that there was one man there that never attended any of the business meetings. There was no elders there. Uh, so obviously they didn't have the leadership they needed to have. There was one man that never attended the business meetings, but he was an influential man in the community. Uh, and and um, he was a doctor um that everybody seemed like in the community knew uh <clears throat> and what he would do he would never attend because the business means because he said his heart couldn't take it but he would hear about a decision that was made in the business meeting and then turn around and do everything he could to fight it and this had gone on for years i mean literally years um I don't know what there is about it, but, but I don't, you know, Jude um, would talk about three people that were, you know, he would talk about 
a fellow by the name of Gaius. He would talk about a fellow by the name of Demetrius, but then he would also talk about a fellow by the name of Diotrephes. And Diotrephes was a one-man guy that he was going to do the church his way. You know, anytime you're in this situation, folks forget that this is Christ's church. Jesus paid for it, mm. not me. And, and the thing was, is whatever decision we tried to make, to try to make some changes in the church to help it to become what God wanted it to be. Boy, he fought it tooth and nail. He fought it tooth and nail. And whenever we talked to him about it, <clears throat> and you've also got to remember Georgia, as I said earlier, did not have a lot of congregations in it, especially South Georgia. So this is, this was about, you know, a little bit South of Macon between Macon and Valdosta. And <clears throat> to make a long story short, this, this guy, uh, this people would travel 30, 40 miles to come to church there because this was the only church in the area. Hmm. So one Sunday we decided uh, in the business meeting that we would have a uh, get together. Uh, we would have, we would have worship at the normal time, Bible class at the normal time worship. Then we would have a meal. You know, we all, all of us had a meal about once a month all congregations that I've ever been a part of had a meal once a month. But then after that, we would, we decided that we would have a two o'clock service. That way the folks that had to travel so far could stay there. We could have both of our services. We would be accommodated to them. And, uh, uh, <clears throat> then they could go home and we'd be done for the day. And I thought, you know, that's, that's a good idea. And at least by doing this, we're showing them that we appreciate them traveling the 30, 40, 50 miles they had to travel to come to church. Mm -hmm. um, brother heard about it. He liked it, went into apoplexy. He said, that's unscriptural. I said, brother, show me in the Bible where it says that you got to meet at 11, 12, or excuse me, 10, 11, and then at six. I, I'm sorry, you're not going to find that there. Uh, I do read in the Bible where they would, in Acts chapter 20, where Paul would preach till midnight. And then they kept him up the rest of the night talking about the things that he had discussed and preached. So where did you see that? What, what is your justification for it? And he said, well, we've always had six. And, and, if, and if somebody's traveling, and this is on one of the major highways going south, uh, major interstates. He said, if somebody was traveling and they come and stop by the church at six o'clock and we're not here. We're, we're, miss, we're, we're not giving them the opportunity to worship God. And I said, well, brother, I said, um, it's only once a month. And I said, you know, we don't have, an, have to have an entire worship service. If the person, you know, if there's somebody here at the building and somebody comes in and if they want to... Uh, if they've been on the road traveling or whatever, and they want to partake of the communion, then we can accommodate that. No, no, no. You've got to have a full worship service. No. And, and you know what I'm trying to say is, is you have this whole situation pop up there about the possibility of some visitor off the highway somewhere stopping. <laughs> and that was the whole reason why he was opposed to it. It created such a problem. I finally said, okay, enough's enough. Church, let's meet together. And I did not the business meeting. I, let's all of us meet together. And <clears throat> I expressed what the decision was. I expressed who was there. I told the church what had happened. And that brother was there at that time. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
it got heated. He got kind of upset about it. Now, this same brother that had a heart problem, couldn't be in a part of a meeting. He got heated about it. And I looked at him and I said, now, I said, okay, church, this is, and again, we didn't have eldership. So church, this is your decision. What do you want to do? Do you want to meet and eat and then meet again or what? How do you want to handle that? Everybody but him said, yeah, let's do that. I said, okay. All right. And then he got up and he said, you're causing somebody's soul to be lost. I said, brother, I said, from what I'm seeing in this congregation here, these people want to do this. There's nothing unscriptural about it. We have not done anything wrong. If you want to be here at six o'clock and meet somebody, you've got a key. You could be here. And I said, brethren, anything else to say? We walked out. <laughs> and now, <laughs> but it wasn't long after that. <laughs> he kept after me. And it got to the point to where he, run, he ran everybody off. Everybody didn't want to be a part of something. And there's something to be said about this. Everybody didn't want to be a part of something where there wasn't going to be peace and harmony in the church. And you see, this is the reason why it went from 75 down to 15. And of course, by that time, then, then the only person putting in the money at that point in time would be him. And I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to play his game. I wasn't going to have nothing to do with it. I wasn't going to do it. So I immediately called around and I knew what I knew, the handwriting was on the wall and I immediately called around and uh, it just so happened another congregation that I had tried out before uh, <clears throat> I had moved down there or still they had hired somebody. This turned out to be a bad thing because they had hired a preacher that really messed things up. Uh, but they said, can you come up here and, and try it again? I said, yeah. And that's how I wound up being at Clarkdale. And now, as I said, the, the merger of the two congregations and being here for about 31 years. Okay. So. That's, a, that's a very, very good segue. So um, how long, how, and you say you've been at South Cobb since 1990, you said? We moved there December 29th. December 29, 1989. Okay, so it's so close to 1990. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say. It works, <laughs> it works out well. <laughs> Seriously. And so we moved here December 28th, or 20, yeah, 29, 1989. Going on 31 years. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. No, I, really, the, the thanks need to go to the brethren. Um, the thanks need to go to the bread and to God, obviously, obviously. Uh, took the words out of my mouth, but uh, it, it, it takes, takes a lot of fortitude. Yeah. And a and lot of time to, to do what you've done for so long. Yeah. Develop a relationship with the people. You also got to have a commitment. There's got to be a commitment. And again, part of the commitment was because I didn't want to see you have to see my kids have to be moved again. There was that. But as I've watched them grow up and all, then there was the commitment to the community and everything else in that respect. And uh, so that's, that to me is another key thing. Preachers need to go and stay. As I said earlier, being there every two years, you don't even get to really know anybody real well hmm. in two years. Uh, preachers need to make a commitment to go and stay unless there's things happen like as I explained to you down at that congregation that I was, 
just just explaining to you about. There's things that happens that can't be uh, dealt with. So you've just got to either go, and, and again, you have to feed your family. Mm-hmm. Preachers have to feed their family, just like anybody else does. Preachers have to feed their family. So, and, and, and I, you know, there definitely needs to be a better checks and balances with um, some of these congregations where they, sh- you know, just because an evangelist is presenting a new approach, if he's not doing anything unscriptural or, cr- or contrary, it should be tried out for a while um, because. As my grandmother used to say, and I'm sure many grandmothers across this world, there's different ways to skin a cat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just because it's rubbing you wrong in the moment, maybe it's that friction that God is using to get something out of you. And just because it's making you uncomfortable in the moment, who knows where that can take the congregation? I'm sure the... Uh, three Hebrew boys found no comfort in the idea of going into a furnace. Exactly right. <laughs> but it was going to be for God's glory and they weren't scared of it. And there was a tremendous result to come from it. So mm-hmm. there, I have heard of congregations that are iron fists ruled by elders and i think that rule thing is taken and stretched way too far Uh, and it hurts the congregation in the long run and like we we talked about before it's just a vicious cycle so just in case anybody in georgia uh hears this where exactly is south cobb give me a good location we are on the west side of atlanta just off of I-20 in a little place. It's, it's not incorporated. It's called Mableton. Right here in this area is Mableton, Powder Springs, Austell, all of these suburbs, you might say. Literally, that's what we are. We're part of a suburb of Atlanta. And so we're off on I-20. Um, we're at 1776 Clay Road in Mableton, Georgia. That's an unincorporated part right there uh, of, of that. Um, if you literally go half mile up the road, you actually go into Austell, Georgia, and that's actually a city there, uh, a small city, mm-hmm. small suburb city outside. And then right up next to that is Lithia Springs goes on, the, goes on into Douglas County. Um, but this is all, I could get into Atlanta uh, within, well, depending on rush hour traffic, obviously. <laughs> uh, I have stuck in tra- been stuck in traffic on the three to four hours on one occasion, but anyway, uh, it just really depends on the time of day and everything like that. Wow. Okay. Now let's, before we get into Georgia school of preaching, um, and I believe we might've had this conversation in the past, um, cultural differences. If I'm now stop me, if I'm wrong, I want to say when you first, got to South Cobb, you said this was a um, majority Caucasian congregation and it made a shift. Um, There's no getting around it, especially with Southern history. Um, Did you ever run across any issues where racial things have come into play? Um, 
and also what you have in a mixed bag congregation, the things that have taken place in the last few years that have definitely rubbed the race wars, um, added some friction to it. How have those things affected your congregation and you being the leader? How do you um, navigate those waters? You know, that's been, that's been a great, that's a great question. Um, years ago when I was in Mississippi, um, I, the area that I was living in at that point in time was a rural area. Uh, most of the uh, black uh, families were sharecroppers, you might say, literally. Mm -hmm. I never will forget that I invited some to church and they came. And that got my white brethren very upset. Um, and, and you know, what was so ironic about this, and this was still, this still would have been in the nineties, right? This would have been in the nineties. Okay. The first nineties. Okay. Now I'm, I'm just, I'm just trying to give you some history about what I've, what I've dealt with. Mm -hmm. I had black friends at school, at high school. Uh, I went to college with black friends. So I, I never really, <clears throat> of course I grew up as a white man, right? A white boy. So. <laughs> Anyway, we don't sit down around and talk about a lot of this stuff. Um, whenever I started inviting these black folks to church, one lady told me, she said, you, you don't understand, Tommy. She said, um, you just don't know these people. And I said, yeah, they've got souls. As far as I'm concerned, I have the responsibility to teach them the gospel. Um, I could tell you a couple of stories that I really, uh, but again, we're, we're trying to hurry up and get through this, but, but <clears throat> I left, we wound up here and, and the area that I'm in now, right now has, um, I did a survey or actually went on the U.S. census, the, uh, Powder Springs area, all of this whole area here in this part, cause again, from Atlanta going on to the West, going toward Alabama. Um, we're in the neighborhood of, depending on what particular area uh, of the suburbs, you would have anywhere, you would have a 50-50 split uh, of white and black. Uh, we also in this particular area that I'm in now, there's a lot of Hispanics. We did have a Hispanic congregation worshiping with us for a point of time. Uh, we helped help that, um, but that's another story to talk about. Um, <clears throat> I looked up at the U.S. Census and found that uh, we are running, in some of the areas around Atlanta, in this area where I'm talking about, it's about 50-50, uh, but in some areas it's 75-25 black-white. So the, the demographics is shifting, okay? And... Um, so as we're, and I kind of knew this was going to come up because of, of this, but in light, especially of this year, uh, the COVID as well as the race uh, situation, as well as the election. Um, one of the elders, I'm an elder here at South Cobb and one of the other elders or the other elder is, is a black man that I have a very great deal of love for uh, when all this stuff started with uh, Ahmaud Aubrey uh, down in uh, uh, Albany, uh, George Floyd, um, we we started having a major serious talks about this, 
as a white man, as a black man, uh, I'm trying my best to understand, okay? Um, because I, um, I've been stopped by the police, but I've never been as far as I felt like in my own life, I've never been felt like I was threatened in any one of those situations. I, I did spend a lot of time listening to a lot of different people, uh, black people that shared with it. And then, then you had the COVID come up. A lot of our ladies um, that attend church there uh, are nurses. So this has become an issue, wear a mask or not wear a mask, you know, um, and again, there's this, this, this undercurrent that suggests the idea that this is blown out of proportion, that it's not as, in, it's not as big as the flu was. Um, one of the things somebody said to me the other day, is said, you never hear about anybody having the flu, it's either COVID or not, you know? So, so the thing is, is that all of this has been politicized as far as I'm concerned. And, and, it, and it has created a division in the church we already are divided yeah. one person has said the most segregated place in america on sunday is the church okay Martin Luther king said that and that's that's right and um so we we're trying to travel those waters and again it's extremely tough right now um, some of the folks who grew up in churches where the black preacher would have no problems whatsoever with talking about politics. We have white members that don't want to hear politics preached from the pulpit because nobody's going to tell me who to vote for. Right. You, you see what I'm trying to say? It's, it's, so you've got a, a, a I'm, I'm looking at it again as a strictly from, from a white man. You've got a culture that the, the black and the black culture as I see it and as I perceive it. Okay, you know, understand what I'm trying to say here. Talk uh, candidly, I, I take note. Yeah. yeah. So where they actually will try to address these political issues and things along that line. But if I was to do the same thing, it would be, bar the bar the door kate because the white people would feel like that you're trying to tell me who to vote for you don't have that right to do that mm -hmm. now as if that's not enough as i said the covid thing came in uh we then began to start judging brethren on whether or not you're um, mask or non-mask you don't care about anybody if you don't wear a mask, <laughs> but on the other side of the deal, you know, are you going to live your life for the rest of your life in fear? And you're going to have a mask from here on out. Now look at me. See, you see me wearing glasses. My, if I wear a mask, I can't see because it's always fogging the glasses up. Um, so I, I'm, you know, I do wear masks when I'm cutting my grass because I have a lot of allergies. It, you see, Satan has used this. Oh, yeah. Satan has used this and it has torn the church apart. And trying to walk in the middle, you're going to be attacked from both sides. And that's kind of what has happened as an eldership, as a preacher. 
um, in, in all of this whole situation. Uh, I have tried to uh, walk in the middle, you know. I never will forget years ago when I was going to International Bible College, there was a guy that taught me something and I, and, and I never have forgotten this. He, he was one of those that taught me a lot about the Bible that I never even realized until I opened up. And I love going to his classes. And he was talking about the time back in the 1950s and the 40s and 50s in the church, there was a division going on over antiism. Antiism was, it's not scriptural for a church to support an orphan's home. And it's not, you can't take money out of the church treasury to pay a preacher. You can't take a church money. There was a division about that in the 1950s and 1960s. And one of the things this brother taught me was this. He said, you can go too far to the right. You can go too far to the left. And he says, what winds up happening a lot of times is the people too far to the right will wind up sometimes overcorrecting. It's kind of like driving a car. You've got your side of the road to be on. You've got the other side of the road, okay? When you're overcorrecting to try to get away from a ditch, you're going to wind up in the ditch on the other side. Mm -hmm. And he starts giving me names, and I start going through there and having the opportunity to read some of these things some of these guys were saying and what they were saying back here. And then what they said years later over here on the left, they went, I mean, just, I mean, they went from one ditch to the other. He says, stay in the middle. Don't get near the ditches. <laughs> and that's what I've always tried to live my life. But being in the middle right now has been very challenging. It's, it's, I, it's almost like when Paul said, I become all things to all men. Yeah. And, and that's hard. It's hard. It really is. Because you're going to get some on the opposite right side and on the left side that's going to be shooting at you the whole time. And you're in the middle and it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, I empathize. And I, and I sympathize with uh, what my brother in Christ was telling me about the blacks and what they and what you have to face sometimes by the police. Uh, I was asked to speak on a or, or to be a part of a um, panel that uh, was sponsored by a, a local black congregation here. And, um, and they got to talking about defunding the police and things along this line. And I was like, you know, and they, they asked me what my opinion about it was. I said, well, you know what? Paul said in Romans 13 that it is the job of the government to keep the peace. And I said, bottom line is, is you know, this whole defunding the police. And again, they said, well, you just don't understand what's, what's going on. You don't understand. Uh, you know, I was, I was hit pretty hard by that because I'm saying, how can you defund the police whenever the Bible gives us the government the obligation to keep the peace? Uh, and so maybe I don't understand all the concepts about that, about it from the viewpoint of black people. Okay. Um, and, and you know, I feel uncomfortable to saying blacks and whites because uh, Acts chapter um, 17, I think it was, God says, you have made of one blood, all men upon the face of the earth. We all came from Cain or Adam and Eve. That's it. The bottom line is, and the bottom line is, is why should we allow politicians? Why should we allow all these other things to divide us when God says, I want you to be united in Christ. You're my brother in Christ. Your skin color 
doesn't matter to me because you're my brother in Christ. And I'm going to treat you just like anybody else that's my brother in Christ. I'm going to do what I can to reach anybody with the gospel. I don't care about their skin color. I've been to mission trips to Central America. I couldn't speak the language, but I taught the gospel. The bottom line is we're all one. And we need to, we, the church, need to be the example right now in this divided world. We really desperately need to do it. And that necessarily means we've got to get our own act together. I've definitely been one of those people that just go by the content of a person. There you go. And what I have seen, especially in these last, let's just say five or six years since these things have been uh, bombarded on our TV screens, is that in the religious community and it's and the Lord's church, but I'm going to broad stroke the entire religious community. We have forgotten where God's word fits into this narrative. We Mm -hmm. have, we have let our emotions and we're humans. It's right. It it, it happens. But like you said, as being the light of the world, we have forgotten that this thing that covers our bones takes a back seat to everything else. That's right. Even yeah. if even if it makes us uncomfortable, even if that means not necessarily having a popular opinion, but the Bible is littered with these issues. And we don't and we're not taking the time to properly look at scripture the way we should we nitpick bits and pieces to fit whatever our personal agenda is in that moment but you always got to come back to the point of the flesh profits nothing amen and there's always been cultural divides um skin tone divides there's even points where just because they don't like a person in the moment, they've found something wrong with the person they're with. And I, and I think of Moses with Sipporah. Mm-hmm. Their real problem, let alone with God, their problem was with Moses, but they found a way to go to what probably what I would say probably is the most sensitive thing to him, his wife. Mm-hmm. So they pierced them with that, and she had nothing to do with the problem. Amen. Amen. Jews versus Gentiles, uh, Jews versus Egyptians, um, zealots versus <laughs> um, Pharisees, Sadducees—all <laughs> these things, you know. Just it, it just is what it is. You know, there's there's cultural divides within. The black community there's cultural divides from black to white you, you you're never going to run around this issue but the there's one thing we divides. all the one thing we should all have in common is okay what does the bible say that's right there's so, cultural divides in the white community you know just like everything else i mean i've been there i've seen that but we don't talk about it that much. So, but you're right. It, it's it's all boils down to what does the Bible say, and how does it apply, and how more importantly, how do I apply it in all of these situations? I mean, I'm not going to 
I'm not going to dismiss and say we ought not to have any government because God set up government. Um, are there abuses? There's abuses in everything. There's abuses in religion. There's abuses in, in uh, you know, police. There's, you know, there's abuses in everything. We live in a sin-cursed world. It's not going to get any better until the Lord comes again. And I will say through all of this, I've been praying for that to happen a whole lot quicker lately. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say there in that respect. And that's it. That's it. Because, uh, you know, Lord, come quickly. I think that's part of the reason why you see this in some of the passages in the New Testament where they're asking for that to happen. But, yeah. We, we haven't taken a... We, here's a problem I have, Brother Tidwell. It's In this, I'm aiming directly at the Lord's church. We want to be, and we, we have this little quote, we want to be like the first century church. Right. But we're the furthest thing from it. And, and here's why I say that. When you have issues like this, the first century church had to exist, unite, despite all their issues, they had to be one because when you have people like Nero that are burning Christians on post just to get his point across and they still had to unite whether they liked each other's culture or not. They had to provide for one another. They had to be on the run. All these different things they had to go through. But from Jesus to Paul, they're told to live amongst this government. Mm-hmm. you're not going to like it. Here's the persecution. It's coming, but don't leave my side. Or don't, don't you take the lead. Let me take the lead. Your reward isn't here on earth anyway. Amen. We Amen. need to just get over it. And what another thing we're failing to realize, and I'll just I guess I'll just marginalize people. Um, Trump was Trump. Yeah. But as you have perfectly said, God has set governments in place. Mm-hmm. And whether you like, love, or indifferent about Trump, who knows the role he's being asked to play out in this uh, in this continued writing of Christianity. Mm-hmm. I'm sure the Jews didn't enjoy um, Nebuchadnezzar whatsoever, but he That's served right. a purpose. God had him do what he did, and then he punished him on the backdrop. That's right. That's right. But he served a purpose. Who knows what Trump's purpose? Who knew? Who knows what Obama's purpose was? Mm-hmm. We'll figure that out by and by. <laughs> so it's it's become overwhelming. I've had to shut the news off. Just, I, yeah. I don't. I don't feel like hearing no more about Trump hate. I don't want to hear too much more about Trump support. It doesn't matter to me at this point. I know who my true leader is, That's and it. nothing comes between that. He's That's just right. another man playing a role, and that um, it needs to be respected. Do I enjoy everything about the police? Absolutely not. I've been racially profiled many occasions, but it is what it is. I know what I'm up against. Just like you, just like when Christ said, you shall endure persecution. It's just one of those things. I don't like it. I don't love it. 
it makes me angry. But when I can look back at the true first century church and what they had to go through and, and, and the, the unsung heroes of the um, in Hebrews, when they talk about those of the faith, mm -hmm. we don't look at the ones in the cave. That's right. We look at the ones that, that the Bible tells a story about, but well, you're right. The one with the capital names, but yeah, he found a way to put these no-name people in a cave and he hold them of the highest esteem and mm -hmm. they're running for their life. That's right. One person said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. I am not a prophet. But I think one of the best things that could ever happen to the church right now is to go through some persecution. Because then you're going to separate the wheat from the chaff. And those that are faithful are willing to pay whatever the price is going to be paid. Mm -hmm. See you the goats. That's it. So I am not a prophet, as I said, but I see it coming. Mm -hmm. And we better get ourselves ready. That's all I've got to say. Because it's easy sitting here in this free country talking about freedom of religion and talking about we can do it the way we want to, but it's very possible in the next few years that that's going to change. Then what? Whose side are we going to be on then? Mm -hmm. And that's something that I've been given a lot of prayer and a lot of thought about. And, and it goes back to what we talked about at the very beginning. We need to help the church to get to that point to where if it comes, we'll pay the price. Mm -hmm. But we have to realize that death is not the worst thing in the world. There it is. I've tried not to let it bother me too much, but I've had issues with congregations that the doors are closed. Mm -hmm. And I even underst I understood from a humanity part of when <clears throat> COVID first really blew up the nation, where it's yeah. like, okay, let's step back for a month or two and try to figure out what's the best course of action. Yeah. But I know that there's congregations in Cleveland and it rubs me wrong that they're preaching um, the right way to worship this and the third, but they've kept the doors closed. And, yeah. and like you said, there, what's the worst that could happen? And again, that's us putting our humanity in front of God. Mm -hmm. If we die, okay, what's our reward? There you go. <laughs> There you go. Paul was looking forward to get his head chopped off. <laughs> and But he knew where his true reward is. And it, it, it makes no sense to me. It, but at this point, we know what social distancing is. We Like you said, mask. We know, what's the excuse? And mm -hmm. it truly is showing the wheat from the shaft, the sheep from the goats. Because at no point should we let our Fear keep us from doing what the Lord has told us to do. That's right. Whether a state has told you so, whatever the case may be. And again, there's different ways to skin this cat. You can, if you're, if you're a congregation that has the proper leadership, who's to say that the leadership can't get together and put an outline? This is what we're going to talk about for the month. Now you go to the, 
you hold uh, a mini service at your house for 10 people. You hold at your tent, but we're all on the same accord because church started in houses anyway. Mm -hmm. So to just completely wipe it out, I mean, I, I have to have some mercy in my heart and, and pray for those congregations that have done such a thing. And I know it's not easy. I know it's easier said than done, but we have to rely and trust in God. That's right. Period. So, we did about the same thing. We had to make that decision. We were out for about a month. Yeah. Uh, but we never did stop. We got Zoom. Mm -hmm. We had people worshiping on Zoom together. Right. It wasn't the same thing as the personal interaction, but it was, we were worshiping. Um, we went back, uh, got started with Sunday service. Then we started back with a Bible class uh, Sunday evening. We've, we've got all of that going on right now. Uh, Wednesday night, we weren't able to get people back. Um, we had four or five. So we found that more people would come on Zoom. So we're doing everything on Wednesday night on Zoom. But we're still doing it. We're still teaching. The elders, both of us are teaching um, in, in that respect. So at least they're being taught uh, and they can come back on Sunday. So yeah, that, that's it. Uh, but that was, uh, I'll be honest with you too, as, as, a, as a leader. I never dreamed in a hundred years that we would be making that decision. God, no. Never, never, never. never. <laughs> so on a lighter note, um, tell the people about Georgia School of Preaching and Biblical Studies. How was that birthed? <clears throat> I don't, there was a vision of a man here at the Piedmont Road Church of Christ to develop the members of the church get them into deeper, deeper Bible studies, college level Bible studies, uh, rather than just like I said, the Bible classes that we often understand today. And to get them to the point to where they could be used in other congregations as teachers, as uh, preachers, things along that line. This idea, this plan was back in the 19, early 1990s, earlier, then we actually started working this out. I, I heard about it. The preacher that was here before me, Henry Huckabee, started teaching there. And uh, I, um, he left. Then somebody asked me to teach a class. I said, yeah, I'll be more than happy to. Uh, in fact, the guy that's the main director, David Decker, uh, asked me to teach a class. I said, yeah, I'll be happy to. And I covered for him one time. And he was kind of impressed. And so... He said, you know what, we need to get you to teach here all the time. And I said, all right, well, I'd love to do that. And so. <clears throat> you just don't know how to say no. <laughs> well, yeah, that's it. I, I, there's nothing I love better than to teach God's word. That's just it. I, any chance I get, I want to do it. Uh -huh. And so I got into it. I, I have sit through a lot of courses in a lot of different colleges. Uh, but learning to give tests, I, that's something that's new. Um, learning to, uh, I would rather teach without having to give the tests and everything, but I know I have to try to figure out how you have to give a grade out there. So you, did they get it or not? Um, but I've been doing it now for probably going on 14 years. Um, and, uh, I love every minute of it. I'm now the director at the Marietta campus. Um, I'm the one that sets up the schedule for that. I, I'm the one that talks to the teachers that teaches it. 
I'm the one that goes in there and makes sure they're doing the job they're supposed to be doing. I've got, we've got good men teaching, older men that have been preachers for a long time, um, men that have uh, been through the battles. Uh, that's part of it too. And you see, that's another thing that, again, whenever you've been preaching and teaching that long, you could share with them what you've been through. You can share with people what you're struggled with. And uh, you can share, okay, this passage is talking about this. This is how it was handled. Is it right? Is it wrong? It all depends on the situation. But, but you know what I'm trying to say? It gives us the opportunity to speak in such a way as to help them, help people to understand every church is going to be different. Every church is going to struggle. But the main goal has been to try to build the church. If we could get every member into deeper Bible study to where they're able to teach others. Isn't that what Jesus said? Isn't that what he says that you may be able to teach? Paul would say that you may be able to teach others also. And the ideal is, is they teach and they teach and they teach and they teach. And their way, that way there's no chance of the, of the faith being again, I believe God's going to take care of this. Don't misunderstand me, but there's no chance of the faith being cast aside. We would know it because we keep on teaching it, teaching it, teaching it, teaching it, teaching it. That's what needs to happen. And so I love to be a part of it. Ever since I've had the opportunity to be the director there, it seems like we've grown phenomenally in growth. One of the things that we started to do right after that is there was a lot of this was going on at the Georgia school pre, at the Piedmont road church of Christ. And they actually wanted people there. And there's something to be said about that. Again, it's just like a church assembly. Whenever you got people there, there's something there. There's that, that camaraderie there. Uh, but then we began to realize, you know, some people are about that same time. A lot of other colleges or a lot of colleges started going to this online teaching. So I did some investigation and found out a little bit about Zoom, started to saying, okay, let's, let's offer it that way too. And so we did, we have had the opportunity. Um, I had an opportunity about two or three years ago where there was a, a school out in Texas. Uh, they were having trouble getting a, a teachers at the time. And so what we did is use Zoom and they actually projected it on a television screen. So not only was I teaching it there in Georgia, but I was teaching them and they were doing it at the same class in Texas at the same time. And I had the opportunity to listen to what they had to say and I could make any comments that I needed to make to them as well as the people there. And so that turned into a great, great blessing. It's turned into a great blessing through this COVID because again, um, when you start talking about how churches start closing down, there was the possibility of the school closing down. I kicked it back about a week or so because I wanted to see what was going to happen, uh, whether or not we was even going to be able to meet, whether or not there was going to be a governmental shutdown or something, you know, like in California or some of these other places. Um, so that's the reason why we went from an 18 week course to a 15 week course, but two and a half hours. Uh, we cut down the course time, but that gives us more opportunity to do more teaching. Right. Um, so that's, um, we have graduated, I want to say close to 20. I'm thinking of at least um, 
at least five guys that are preachers now. Wow, that's tremendous. Because of uh, the fact that they've come through this Georgia School of Preaching, mm-hmm. one of them increased uh, or wanted to get to know more. So he went on to a couple of these other colleges, as I was sharing with you earlier, before probably we even began the podcast, um, talking about the idea of them being uh, further trained to be better preachers. Hmm. Um, and we still have members of the church that come. And it's always one of the things I always love is teaching is uh, they've sat in Bible classes all their lives. But whenever they come here and we give tests and make them write papers and make them study on their own, you, I love to see their eyes light up. Wow, I never realized this. Wow, I never thought, I never, I just read through it and I don't, how do you get all of that out of there? It's called study. It's called putting yourself into it. And that's been a great asset. Um, and we, again, we've had people, we actually had, as I said, a place out in Texas. Uh, we had um, some people in India taking it. They actually could not watch it at that time because the time frame is so much different that it would be like uh, our six o'clock there here or 630 here in the evening would be 12 o'clock in the morning there, you know, but they turned around and they would go to YouTube where we have all this stuff posted mm-hmm. and they would show it to their congregations. Wow. That's tremendous. So you see, this is another tool that God has given us the opportunity to use. And it has definitely come into handy since COVID. And uh, um, I I just rejoice that I have had an opportunity to be a part of it. Um, And and, um, I I thank God for men like you and and all these others that have gone through it and are continuing to go through it. And let me just continue to encourage others. Anybody that's interested after hearing this podcast, uh, you can go to gsoponline.org. We have um, across the top, you have the catalog, you have all these different links. If you go to campuses, hit the word campuses, hit the Marietta campus, and uh, you will find a registration seat of what we're offering this next semester. want to encourage anybody that wants to be a part of that, uh, please do so. You go across the top uh, in admissions, there's a student registration and there's the catalog. And you can read our catalog and see what it is that we require. Um, we did go from um, um, quarters to semesters because we're trying to make everything, uh, if somebody wants to continue their studies in, in uh, some of the colleges that's associated with the Churches of Christ, uh, you can go there and some of these, um, courses will transfer uh there's no tuition it's just your time your effort your energy and you buying the books necessary for the courses and um so you have any questions be please feel free to talk contact me about it and uh i will be more than happy to answer you any way i possibly can knock knock that out the park (laughs) that's no that's perfect way to end so again folks this is uh my teacher and mentor and i probably need to stay in touch a little bit more uh definitely we'll be getting 
back into GSOP. And if again you're wondering what GSOP is, that is the Georgia School of Biblical, um, sorry, Georgia School of Preaching and Biblical Studies. Uh, this is again my brother, my mentor, um, someone I have deep respect for. This is Brother Tommy Tidwell of the South Cobb Church of Christ. You can find out more about his congregation at southcobbchurch.org. You can also uh, find some of his uh, many sermons and uh, Wednesday night classes uh, uh, on their YouTube page. Uh, so like some of those videos and subscribe at South Cobb Church of Christ. And as he said, uh, get registered with uh, GSOP. Brother Titwell, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Brother, I appreciate you so much. You've always encouraged me. We've been a great student, and I just want you to keep on keeping on. Keep the faith, brother. And I've been spending this time talking with you, brother. Thanks for checking out this episode of Liberation. Subscribe to the show and follow Liberation on Twitter and Instagram at Liberation underscore pod. Liberation is sponsored by Doodlebugs by DeVita. Thoughtful handmade jewelry designs inspired by love, peace, and unity. Shop Doodlebugs at doodlebugsbydevita.square.site. And for the Etsy lovers, it's doodlebugsbydevita.etsy.com. Use the promo code LIBERATION and get 10% off your order. Follow Doodlebugs on Twitter at doodlebugs4u. That's doodlebugs, the number four, the letter U. And Instagram, doodlebugsbydevita.